0: All right, let's pray before we get started in our study tonight. Lord, by your spirit, speak to each one of us. Prepare our hearts, give us soft hearts to receive. May your word be a uh, word in due season. May we be drawn closer to you. May we be sold out more to you. And may we live surrendered to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. Well, tonight we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. And we're going to look at verses 28 through 30. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. So if you have an electronic device, you can uh, scroll to that particular version. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. All right, let's read the passage first, and then we'll go back through it. Jesus speaking says, starting in verse 28, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in hard, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So here in this passage, Jesus is giving an invitation to all who are weary to all who are worn down, to all that feels like they cannot go any longer in life because of the heaviness of life. Jesus' message to those in that position is surrender. Surrender to him by giving up on any self-reliance, any self-dependence. Surrender. Surrender. Because living life in our own strength, living life according to our own efforts, will wipe us out. It will burn us out. It will leave us emotionally and spiritually exhausted. So Jesus invites anyone in this position, anyone who's going through this heaviness, anyone who's laboring in this heavy burden, Jesus says, come to me to let go and surrender and allow him to be in control. And in the first part of verse 8, the invitation is personal where he says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So when we're in that position where we're not depending on Jesus and we're brought to a place of weariness and heaviness, We need to go to Jesus because living independent of Jesus will cause distance from Jesus. And this is why he says, come to me, because something has gotten away and caused a distance and usually it's self-reliant living. But living independent of Jesus will always cause distance from Jesus. The Lord said in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13... The Lord speaking here. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have, what's the next word? Forsaken me. So there's a distance between them and the Lord. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water. And so here's the reason why there's distance. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So this is something that they did on their own. It's their own cistern, their own means, something they did in their own efforts, independent of God, and the result is distance. It's a forsaken. Paul tells the Galatian believers in Galatians five verse four. He says, "You are. Severed, you are severed or distanced from Christ." You who would be justified by the law. And we know the law is self-dependent living, living according to our own efforts. And when we live independent of Jesus, it's always going to be a severance. It's always going to be a distance. And notice he says, you have fallen away from grace. So living a self-dependent lifestyle will create distance between us and the Lord. It causes separation. So, when we find ourselves in this position, it's something that we all struggle with because our natural reaction is to be in control, but control will lead to weariness. And when we find ourselves like this, get to Jesus as quickly as possible. Draw near to him. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10 21 and 22, he says, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. James tells us come near to God and God will come near to us. So when there's that distance between us and the Lord because of doing things in our own flesh, our own efforts, repent and come to Jesus. That's the invitation. Now, it's important for us to remember that we're coming to Jesus and not to anyone or anything else. Because a lot of times we tend to think that we can find rest outside of Jesus. This is why we see addictions and overspending and constant change in employment and so on. Because we think rest and contentment can be found in other places other than Jesus. But David lets us know in his psalm that rest only comes from Jesus. Rest for our soul only comes from the shepherd. In Psalm 23, a familiar uh, psalm, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. So when Jesus is is in control, when Jesus is leading, when Jesus is the shepherd, listen to the fruit of this. I shall not want. He makes me to what? Lie down. He provides rest. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And here it is. He restores or refreshes or brings rest to my soul. So the Lord is the one, the only one that provides rest, calmness, and seldomness for our souls. No one else can do it. Nothing else can do it. Only Jesus So we go to him for rest. Also in coming to Jesus, we can't forget that we're coming to a person and not a program. A person and not a doctrine. A person and not a theology. All those things are important and they're very needed, but we have to realize that this is a real, alive, living person that we're coming to for rest. We have to make sure that we're avoiding formulas and methods in our approach to Jesus because we're called to reality and not to religion. There has to be a sincerity. There has to be transparency. There has to be realness in our relationship with the Lord. Jesus says in John 4, 23 and 24, he says, the hour is coming now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and what? Truth. And notice the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. There has to be reality and realness in our Approach in our relationship with the Lord. David says in Psalm 145, 18, it says, the Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in what? In truth. There's intimacy, there's nearness, there's closeness with the Lord when our relationship with him is real and authentic. So our approach and our coming to Jesus for rest needs to be in reality, knowing that we're coming to a real person and not a program or a doctrine or theology. Now, in the second part of verse 28, Jesus specifies who can come to him. Notice, he says, come to me. What's the next word? All. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. So his invitation is to all. All. Everyone is invited to come to Jesus. Any person that's weary, any person that's internally exhausted, any person that's worn out and burdened down to the point of collapsing, Jesus says, you come to me. No one is excluded from the invitation of Jesus. And what this tells us about our Lord is there is no bias there's no partiality and there's no favoritism with Jesus. Paul said in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all what? One, One in Christ Jesus. Galatians 2.6, Paul says, God shows personal favoritism to no man. Romans 2 says, there's no partiality with God. So Jesus is not selective in who can come to him. He allows all and he welcomes all. Doesn't matter your race, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your background or your financial or social status, you are welcome to come to Jesus. His invitation is all inclusive. John six thirty seven. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I would never cast out. Paul tells us whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus says in John 3:36, "Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life." John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is into the "whoever's." All people can come to him. And as Christians, we have to be willing, we have to be open to be used by the Lord to minister to any and all people. Regardless of race, regardless of political affiliation, regardless of our preferences, our comforts, and our familiarities, Jesus died for all and Jesus welcomes all. We cannot be cliquish. And this is a lesson Peter had to learn regarding sharing the gospel with Cornelius. You know he was kind of hesitant, but eventually the Lord got through him, and when he got to the house of a non-Jew, Peter says in Acts 10, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from what kind of nation? Every nation, the one who fears him and does what's right. He welcomes all. He calls all. And we as Christians need to be willing to show the love, to show the love of Christ to any and all people. Now, with the invitation that Jesus gives to come, He gives the promise of rest. He says, Come to me, all you who labor in our heavy laden. And I might give you rest. Doesn't say that, does it? He says, I will give you rest. So Jesus promises a divine, supernatural rest where he revives, refreshes, and restores the soul of anyone that comes to him. And it's freely given. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to deserve it. We don't have to merit, merit his rest. It's all according to grace. There's nothing we can do to deserve or earn the rest of Jesus. We just accept it. The Lord doesn't bless us based off of our, off our performance the lord blesses us based off his character he's gracious and because he's gracious he gives grace we don't work for it we just receive it listen how paul speaks of the grace of god in first corinthians 15 paul says for i am the least of the apostles who am not what worthy to be called an apostle All right so Paul knows his position in regards to grace. He knows he's unworthy because I persecuted the church of God. And look at verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And for us, it's only by the grace of God that we have what we have and we are what we are. And because of his grace, we have this promise of rest. If we come to him, and with this promise, we can be certain that it will happen, because one thing God cannot do is what lie. He cannot lie. Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie. Hebrews six, eighteen. It is impossible for God to lie. Titus one, twelve. In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot what lie, lie. promised before time began. And it tells us in 1 Samuel 15, the glory of Israel, which is God, will not lie. So, whenever the Lord speaks, truth comes out. Truth is his nature, truth is who he is. So, when he speaks to us through his word, believe, receive, and respond to what he tells us. He's truth. John, speaking of Jesus, says, John 1:14, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus said of himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So truth is who Jesus is, and we can rest assured, especially with this promise of rest, if we come to him, We will receive his rest. So in verse 28, we see the invitation to come. Okay, the invitation to come. Now in verse 29, we're going to see the invitation to take. Okay, look at the first part of verse 29. Jesus invites us. He says, take my yoke upon you. Okay, so come. And after we've come, now take. Take his yoke upon us. So here we see the exhortation to take what Jesus has, to take what is his, to take what he possesses. And in this case, it's his yoke. Now, a yoke was a wooden crossbar or a harness that was used to connect two oxen in order to have more efficient plowing. The yoke brought them together. So when Jesus tells us to take his yoke, he's calling for nearness. He's calling for closeness. He's calling for intimacy. He's calling for union to walk together with him through this life, and he's offering us fellowship, intimate fellowship. Is submission to take his yoke, but that submission brings intimacy. It's the same call that we see Jesus makes in John 15, where he tells us to abide in him. Same principle. So keep your finger in Matthew and turn right a couple books to John chapter 15, and we're going to see the call to intimacy through abiding in Jesus. John 15 we going to look at verses 4 through 8. Jesus speaking here says, abide in me. And I knew you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you what? Abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, and I in them bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them uh, and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Verse 7, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so you'll be my disciples. So here, same principle of taking up his yoke is the call to intimacy. It's that call to fellowship. It's that call to closeness to be yoked together with Jesus as we walk through life. It's living life with the awareness and nearness of Jesus. That's what being yoked with Jesus is. It's living life with the awareness and nearness of Jesus. Because if we try to live this Christian life outside of fellowship with Jesus, it's going to be too hard and too heavy. And that's why he calls us to come to him. The implication is we've been trying to do this on our own, we've been trying to live life in our own strength, and it left us laboring and heavy laden, detached from the Lord, no intimacy. So the Lord says, Come and take. Same principle here in John 15, where he tells us to, buy, to abide. So Jesus invites us to take up his yoke, to be near to him, to enjoy fellowship with him, to uh, enjoy closeness with him, so that he can help us to live this life while we enjoy fellowship with him. It's a call to intimacy. You go ahead and flip back to Matthew 11. So, not only does Jesus invite us to come to him, not only does he invite us to take from him, but he also invites us to learn from him. Look at verse 29 again. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So, the call here is discipleship. He's calling us to learn about him as we learn. From him. He's both the teacher and the homework. <laughs> learn from me, which is learn about me as you learn from me. Because God's ultimate goal for every singer, every single believer, every single follower of Jesus Christ, God's primary goal is Christ likeness. To be conformed into the image of his Son. Paul tells us in Romans 8:29, "For whom He, from whom God, whom He foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son." So discipleship from Jesus is designed to make us more like Jesus. We become like our teacher as we learn from our teacher. But here's the good news. The conformity into the image of Jesus happens by the Holy Spirit and not by us. We do not have to change ourselves. The Holy Spirit changes us as we're yoked with him and learning from him. It's the work of the Spirit of God. And Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, and here it is, are being transformed into that same what? Image from glory to glory, just as by the Who? By the Spirit of the Lord. So we're becoming more and more like Jesus as we remain in fellowship with Jesus, as we're being discipled by Jesus and by the Spirit of Jesus, we're being changed into the image of Jesus. I cannot repeat that, it wasn't in my notes. That was a freestyle for you. (laughs) It's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's conforming us into the image of Jesus as we learn from him. So, how? How do we learn from Jesus? How do we become disciples of Jesus? What does discipleship from Jesus look like? Two things, and it's not an exhaustive list. It's not a complete list, but two common ways. One be teachable. Be teachable. We have to want to be discipled by Jesus. We have to want to learn from him. We can be forced, especially teenagers, we can be forced <laughs> to read our Bibles. You're not getting on that device until you read your Bible. And the heart may be a million miles away while we're reading our Bibles. There has to be a desire for discipleship. There has to be a desire to learn from Jesus. We have to be teachable in order to be discipled by the Lord. We have to position ourselves in such a place where we're receiving from Him. Position ourselves in this Word, position ourselves, gather with the saints, position ourselves, being open to the Holy Spirit. And we see the position of discipleship with the guy that um, Jesus cast out a legion of demons in Luke chapter 8. The position of discipleship being teachable. Luke 8. Verse 35, this is after Jesus cast out the demons from the guy. It says, the people went out to see what happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. This man in his right mind Put himself in a place to be discipled by Jesus, a place to learn, being teachable, submissive to the Lord. We see this with Mary also, the sister of Martha, Martha. In Luke 10, it says in Luke 10, starting in verse 39, she, Martha, Martha. I'm like, I don't know too many Martha. I grew up with one Martha, but it's Martha. Um, so she. Martha had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and did what? Heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. And notice this, but one thing thing is needed, discipleship. One thing is top priority, sitting at his feet. One thing is the most important, learning from the Lord. And Mary has chosen that good part, which, not, which would not be taken from her. So to learn from Jesus, to be discipled by Jesus, we have to have a teachable heart. And we have to position ourselves to receive from him through his word. Jesus says in John 8, 31 and 32, if you abide in my word, if it's a pattern of your life, if it's a lifestyle to be in the word of God, you are my what? You are my disciples indeed. So a disciple of Jesus is someone who has a pattern of being in the word and who also receives the word with a teachable heart. We have to be humble and teachable in order to learn from Jesus. Secondly, not only do we need to be teachable, but we also need to be obedient. Okay? A disciple of Jesus is obedient to Jesus. Jesus says in Luke 9, popular verse 23, Whoever wants to be my what? Disciple. Hear It's the condition for being a disciple of Jesus. Must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and what? Follow me. Obedience. A disciple. Jesus also says in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my what? Disciples. So obedience... Is a mark of a disciple. So to learn from Jesus, we must be obedient to Jesus, willing to die to ourselves, willing to obey. And here it is, even when we don't feel like it. Discipleship is not conditional. Obedience is not conditional. A true disciple obeys regardless, even when we don't feel like it. And we see this example with Jesus in the garden. And I know some of us may think it's sacrilegious or it's kind of blasphemous. blasphemous. But when I read this, I don't think there was an ounce of feelings in Jesus to be obedient to take up that cup. I don't think Jesus felt like going to the cross and yet he says, Luke twenty-two forty-two, 42, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. What's the cup? The cross. I don't want to go to the cross. Nevertheless, regardless of how I feel, regardless of what I don't want to do, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. A disciple obeys regardless. A disciple dies to themselves regardless. A disciple follows Jesus regardless, even when they don't feel like it. This is discipleship. This is what Jesus is inviting us to. This is how we learn from him. Now, in the next part of verse 29, Jesus tells us the motive. This is why we should learn from him. This is why we should be obedient to him. This is why we should position ourselves to hear from him and to be led by him. He says, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's some heavy stuff. I am gentle and lowly in heart. The reason why we should be taught by Jesus, the reason why we should learn from him, the reason why we should be discipled by him is because His heart and his nature is gentle and humble. This should change everything for us as a disciple. Gentle and humble. He says that about himself. This is his proclamation of his heart and nature. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because of who I am, gentle and lowly in heart. Paul gives us a peek into the humility of Jesus when he tells us in Philippians 2, 5 through 8, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and here it is, who being in the form of God, okay, Jesus is God, okay, speaking of his deity, so God, he did not consider it to be robbery, to be equal with God, but in contrast to that, in contrast of being God, in contrast to being in heaven, imperfection made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and he's telling us to take his joke, but he set the example, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross, the humility of Jesus The gentleness of Jesus. It tells us in Matthew 12, he would not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. He's not brash, he's not harsh. And here it is, verse 20 a bruised reed he would not break, a smoldering wick. He would not quench the gentleness of Jesus. After his baptism, he came out of the water, and it said the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of what? A dove. A very gentle bird. This is the person we're following. This is the person who's inviting us to learn from him. This is the person we're submitting to. This is the person we're yoked with. Who wouldn't want to follow someone like this? Who wouldn't want to be led by Jesus? Who wouldn't want to surrender their lives to him and allow him to be in control? Gentle, humble, This is his character. This is his nature. And when we believe this, accept this, and resolve to live in this truth, it should change everything about our Christian life. The way we read our Bible should be different now. The way we pray should be different now. The way we view trials should be different. The way we interact with each other should be different now. Gentle, humble. The truth about the heart of Jesus should change everything for us. It should hit us to the core to cause a response where we're willing to live differently now because of the person we're following. The more we're yoked with Jesus, the more we learn from him, the more we're going to become gentle and humble. Remember, he's the teacher, but he's also the homework. We become like our teacher And one of the best ways to know how we're doing spiritually, how we're doing um, in our growth with the Lord, is how we're doing in our gentleness and our humility. Because as we're following him, that's what he's changing us into, to become more gentle and more humble. This is why we should learn from him. This is why we should take his yoke. It's much easier to follow someone whose heart and nature is gentle and humble. Jesus tells us at the end of verse nine uh, I'm sorry verse 29, He tells us the result of being yoked with him and the result of learning from him. Here's the result: You will find rest for your souls. There is rest that will be found as we walk, yoke together with Jesus. Being in fellowship with him, being discipled by him, learning from him will always lead us to rest for our souls. The writer of Hebrews speaks of this principle in Hebrews 4, 9 and 10. He says, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. So there's rest to be found. For he, the person who has entered into his, God's rest, who has entered into fellowship with God, who's being yoked with God, this person has also ceased from his works as God did from from his So as we give up on self-reliance, self-dependent living, and surrender to Jesus, ceasing from our works, we will find this rest. The Lord speaks on this in Jeremiah 6. He says, Jeremiah 6.16, he says, stand in the ways or stand on the roads and see. And ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. So if we walk in the good way, his way, then you will find what? Rest for your souls. So as a disciple, as we walk in obedience to him, In the direction he's leading us in, we will discover this rest. Jesus ends our passage by saying in verse 30, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke and burden of Jesus is a testimony of his heart. His heart is gentle and lowly and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The two testify of each other. Gentle, humble, easy, light. A testimony of his character. Now, Jesus is not saying, I'm going to say that again, Jesus is not saying life is easy and life is light. As if we're never going to experience anything hard or difficult in life. That's not what he's saying. In fact, he says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. Paul says in Acts 14, we must through many what? tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Paul also uh, tells Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So Jesus is not saying life is easy, life is light. He's not saying that we're not going to go through tough things, but living for him, following him, Doing what he has called us to do, that's an easy yoke and a light burden because he empowers us to do it. That's the difference. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he empowers us to live for him. Whatever Jesus calls us to do, he would give us the power to do it. This is what makes the yoke easy and the burden uh, light. Power from the Lord. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being for ourselves, but our sufficiency is from where? It's from God. The only reason we're sufficient to do anything of spiritual worth is because God has given us the sufficiency for it. Easy yoke, light burden, because the power is from him. Paul also says in Philippians 2.13, For it is who? It is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5.24, He who calls you, talking about God, whatever God calls us to, he who calls you is faithful who will also what? Do it. So if he calls, he's going to do it. Easy yoke, light burden, because he empowers us. And if we're thinking about it, if we think about it, being in this harness or this yoke with Jesus That load and that yoke is easy because who do you think is carrying 99.999% of that yoke and that burden? Jesus, we're there for fellowship. Jeremy Taylor, I love this quote. He says, Christ's yoke is like feathers to a bird, not loads, but helps to motion. Christ's yoke is like feathers to a bird, not loads, but helps to motion. It's not a hard and heavy thing to live for Jesus when he empowers us to live for him. John tells us the commandments of the Lord are not what? They're not burdensome. Why? He who calls is faithful who will also do it. light yoke, easy yoke, light burden. So in response, in response to Jesus being gentle and humble, in response to him having an easy yoke and a light burden, in response to him giving rest to our souls, our response should be surrender. We should live our lives in surrender to this gentle and humble Savior. In closing, three ways from our passage on how we can surrender to the Lord. Uh, We touched on it briefly as we went through, but I want to zoom in a a little bit more for the sake of application. So three ways we can surrender to Jesus. Number one, we can come to him. All right, verse 28, he says, come to me, all you who labor and heavy laden. So, We come to Jesus when we're burnt out, when we're weary and worn out by leaving what took us away from him in the first place. There was something that drawn us away that we must leave in order to come to him. So the question is, what is the thing or what is the person that has drawn us away from the Lord? It could be a certain relationship. It could be a stubborn heart that has caused separation from the Lord. It could be a pattern of anger or pride or unforgiveness or bitterness or resentment. What is the thing that has taken us away from the Lord? And when the Lord shows us, repent and come to him second way we can surrender to Jesus is take from him. Verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you. The implication here is we're burdened down, inwardly exhausted because we're carrying a yoke that's not from the Lord. We're yoked with something that Jesus isn't in. And that certain thing, whatever it is, has caused us to become restless and agitated. And a lot of times, it's control. We've taken up the the yoke of control. We're trying to control the situation, and now we find ourselves without rest. Other times, it may be that we agree to take on something that the Lord didn't put on us. And the result, we're extremely stressed out. So we have to be careful with the yokes we take up. And we have to make sure that it's the Lord's yoke and not anyone else's yoke. And if we find ourselves currently with a yoke that's not of the Lord, surrender it to him. David says in Psalm 55, 22, Cast your burden on the Lord, that thing that is heavy, that thing that is hard, that thing that is weighing us down, cast it to the Lord, and he will sustain you. So take off the yoke that doesn't belong to Jesus and put his yoke on instead. And lastly, in order to surrender to Jesus, we said it earlier, we must learn from him. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus is the one that should be the example and influence in our lives and not the world or the culture. Jesus influences us, not the world. As a disciple of Jesus, we should not be be in a pattern of worldly living. Paul tells us, do not be conformed to this what? To this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The psalmist talks about the blessed man and what makes this blessed man so uh, approved by God and so filled with joy and contentment. It's because of where his influence isn't at. He says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. If we want peace, do not be influenced by the world or the culture. John tells us in his epistle, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and here it is, is not of the Father, but it's of the world. This world shouldn't be influencing us as believers. We shouldn't be learning from them. We shouldn't be discipled by the world. Don't fall into the flow of the culture. Fall into the yoke of Jesus and learn from him. And when we learn from him by being in this word, and when we learn from him by being in fellowship with other believers, and when we learn from him by being led by his Holy Spirit, that's where rest is found, by learning from him. Jesus is a gentle and a humble Savior with an easy yoke and a light burden providing rest for our souls. Therefore, let's live our lives and surrender to him. Let's pray. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, remind us of this and help us to choose to live for you.